Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Primal Podcast. At Primal, hunting is more than just a hobby. It's a way of life. And whether you're an expert or just getting started, Primal can help make you a better hunter. Now, here's your host, Mike Avery. Welcome once again to another edition of the Primal Podcast. Primal Outdoors, the company that is really becoming so well-known in the hunting industry. And for me, it's a real treat to do this podcast every month because me, as an old outdoor broadcaster from Michigan, I get a chance to talk with, how do we describe it? Not just experts, but maybe I'll go a step beyond that. Royalty in the world of the outdoors today. And when I say who we're talking with this time around, you're going to get it. You're going to understand his name is Tyler Jordan of the famous Jordan family of Realtree, the company that has just pioneered the way we look at marketing and advertising and enjoying the outdoors. And Tyler has agreed to join us on this month's Primal Podcast. Tyler, welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Mike. I'm doing good. Um, I've been in the turkey woods a little bit this morning the last few days hunting with my dad here in Georgia. So um, I've been trying to do that and actually trying to bow hunt turkeys on our farm, both dad and I have. So it's been a little bit of a struggle, um, but, you know, we're doing that every morning before going into the office. So it's been fun doing that together. <laughs> well, let's talk about bow hunting for turkeys because that's one of the things that I love. How is that different? How do you have to approach it differently than using a shotgun, Tyler? Well, it's just, you know, having enough cover is really the key. You know, I don't really 
I don't like hunting turkeys out of a ground blind. So, you know, I've tried not to, you know, use a ground blind for hunting turkeys here at home. And, um, you know, I've only killed one turkey in my life with a bow. My dad has shot several off of our farm and, and doing it. And he also doesn't use a ground blind, but, you know, it just, it's like today, we, you know, we called in this one long beard and he was with a hen and, um, you know, you kind of have to get behind either a tree or some sort of cover. And then the hen came in first, um, to the right side of the tree. And then, you know, the camera guys behind another tree. So, um, you know, I felt like we stayed pretty hidden from her and just thinking the long bear was going to come right behind her. Well, the long bear comes on the opposite side of where she did. So <laughs> we, next thing you know, we just hear a turkey putting and he saw us. So it just, it creates a whole different challenge for you, for nobody that's ever done it. I mean, it just, it's a different kind of thrill, but, um, you know, there's, there's some turkeys on the core area of our farm where dad and I have just been, he'll set up on one side, I'll set up on the other and just kind of hope for the best, you know, and we, and, and you kind of got to have them lock on a decoy or something, uh, too. That just really kind of helps. But, you know, I've, I've actually had just have not had a whole lot of success for whatever reason. They've just been kind of timid of the decoy. So, uh, it's like this morning I tried not using one, but, uh, you know, hopefully it'll work out. We still got a, a lot of time left in the season, but, uh, you know, we may try to take my little brother this afternoon to one of our same spots. But, you know, this is really one of my favorite times of year. Oh, I agree with you there. I absolutely love this time of year. But I can't imagine bow hunting for birds uh, without a blind. Like I set up in one of those primal Wraith 270 see-through blinds. I'm I'm very concealed. Now, I'm limited somewhat in mobility. I can't run and gun or run and bow. But I, I like that concealment. I can't imagine being out there and trying to blend in. But I guess, hey, you are the real tree guys. You're the master of blending in. Yeah, you know, I probably need to look at, you know, one of Primal's blinds, like the new high roller they have coming out or, you know, the vision ground blind. We may want to do something there because, you know, we've uh, we've obviously not been successful yet. We just, you know, we'll, we'll see, though. We got a little bit of time left, and, uh, you know, we'll kind of hope for the best. I mean, turkey hunting with a bow, turkey hunting in general, but, you know, especially with a bow, everything's just got to line up just perfect. you got to have everything kind of going your way and, it takes a lot of luck, you know, probably more so than it does skill in that situation. I'll take luck any day, Tyler. Yeah, I, I will too. I love luck. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about decoys. What is what is the strategy for bow hunting for birds? I mean, how far are you putting your decoys out? How many do you set out? You know, I typically just will put one out. You know, I've tried, I've tried over the last little bit. You know, I started out with just a hen, and I would do some soft calling, but. Um, you know, it's like you almost got to have a strutter, I feel like. I and mean, a strutter, they just seem to, if you get the right turkey and if he's in the right mood and they lock on that strutter, sometimes they just throw caution to the wind and don't really pay attention to a whole lot of anything going around them. Um, although it hasn't worked out for me yet, you know, I've started out just about every morning, you know, at least putting one strutter out there, you know, because the birds, it seems like the last few days at least, they're the hottest on the limb, and as soon as they hit the ground, um, you know. So I'm like, man, if he if he sees this decoy, which we haven't had one right off the roost do this, but I'm like, if he sees this decoy, you know, maybe he'll just kind of lock on it, and then you know, it, it'll give us some time to draw back a bow. Um, so, and I try to put the decoy, you know, at least 20 to 25 yards out in front of me. Um, I just feel like anything, at least for me, anything closer than that. It just it, you know, a lot less room for error on drawing back a bow, and 
you know, just being real careful with your movement. This is the Primal Podcast. We're talking with Tyler Jordan of Realtree. You can learn more about the, the Jordan family and Realtree uh, at their website, Realtree.com. That's Realtree.com. And if you want to learn more about Primal Outdoors, the company responsible for bringing you this podcast, check out that website, PrimalOutdoors.com. That's PrimalOutdoors.com. Tyler, a couple of things I want to follow up on. Broadheads for bow hunting for turkeys. Fixed blade, expandable, what do you like? You know, I've been using the Sever, you know, the Sever expandable. I just, it seems to get a lot, a lot of good penetration. Um, you know, that's what dad and I've been using the last couple of years on these turkeys. Um, I've just seen a lot of success with those. So, you know, I, I like using the Severs. It just seems to penetrate better. Uh, you know, if you were to get in a wing or something, um, you know, you just seem to have a lot, you know, better success when you do that. And then, you know, taking, if you were to, you know, shoot, get a headshot or, you know, on the neck, um, you know, it just, it, it does really well. We've been impressed with those so far. Will you take a headshot? Is that a goal? I, w- I will. I mean, yes, if, if, it, if it's lined up perfect, I will try to take a headshot. I think just, you know, kind of what I've seen is just I'm watching some of dad's hunts and watching different hunts on YouTube. I just feel like it's, if you get a good close shot and the birds, you know, hold still, um, I think it's probably one of the most effective shots. Isn't it surprising, or at least I'll, I'll rephrase that. When I first started bow hunting for birds, it surprised me how tough they are. I mean, they're not that big of a critter, but, man, they're hard to put down with a bow. They, they are hard to put down with a bow, you know, and I've kind of learned just through some of my friends here um, around home where we hunt. You know, I've had a few of them try to bow hunt turkeys, and, you know, they, they filmed it. And, you know, there have been a couple of times where you think, that, you know, they made just a great shot on a turkey, you know, um, and for whatever reason, they are not able to recover that bird. You know, they it, it looks like it's a lethal shot. I'm sure it was a lethal shot, but, you know, that's why I've been really particular on, you know, trying to find the right broadhead set up and then really looking for where I want to, you know, aim on uh, on trying to shoot one. So I think you take for granted a little bit. Uh, you know, just, just how tough these turkeys are and just how much you really have to aim for the right spot. And that's kind of what I said, you know, going, going back a few minutes ago is everything's just got to line up just right. You know, you don't want to rush a shot. Uh, you want to make sure you're actually hitting where you're aiming because if not, things can go wrong in a hurry. And when they're strutted up, when they're puffed up, they're, they're, they look like they're a pretty good-sized target, but the vital is, is quite small. It is. It is small, and that's why in that situation I will try to go as close as I can for a headshot right there because, you know, you just have your, you know, your, like you said, the vitals are just, um, you know, where you're trying to hit them is you have a small room for, for air right there, and, you know, I try to get them to at least come out of strut a little bit before taking a shot. That's more ideal for me. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. That makes complete sense. And going back to a headshot, uh, hey, it, 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 that makes sense as well because it's either a dead bird or it's a clean miss, more than likely. That's right. That's right. That's right. And that's kind of what I'm, you know, that's what Dad and I try to do on ours is going for, you know, if they're 20 yards or less or 25 and I feel like I have a good hold on them, I will try to go for that head first. I want to switch gears here a little bit, uh, still talking about turkey hunting, but you you mentioned that you're, I don't know, it feels like you're kind of playing cat and mouse with some of these uh, birds. Yeah. This, this is going to be a purely personal question because I had a close encounter with a bird here last weekend for Michigan's turkey opener. 
two big uh, long beards come into the decoy. Unfortunately, I didn't make the shot. I missed. But I'm worried now, Tyler. Did I educate those birds? Will will a will a long beard? Will they learn from something like that? Will they avoid that setup in the future? Or two days later, might they come into the same the same deal? Did you have decoys out? I did have two decoys out. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it just to me, it kind of depends. I think our turkeys down here in the southeast, um, and, and maybe it, maybe it's not like this all the time, but they just seem to get educated a lot quicker. You know, like if, if I were to miss a turkey like that down here, maybe versus like going to Texas or somewhere like Texas, I feel like I may be able to get away with that again. But I might, you know, change my, my strategy up, my location up, you know, my calling, um, you know, if I were to miss one. Like if I were to miss one, like I had the turkey I called in this morning, you know, he didn't see a decoy or anything. I would try to set up on that bird on a completely different spot. Mm. And that's just that's just kind of my history with what I've seen with what we have, you know, these turkeys just seem to, for some reason, you know, they just never seem to do the same thing twice. Um, so, they, you know, I don't know if that really answers your question. No, it, does. But it does. Yeah, it does. It does. Y- you know, it just, it just seems like these turkeys down here can be so finicky. And, uh, you know, I, I, I try to switch it up every day. You know, I try not to sit in the same spot every morning. Um, you know, try not to have this, you know, if you do have an encounter, it just doesn't seem like you ever get lightning hardly ever strikes twice in that scenario. What is it about turkeys that makes you want to get up so early in the morning and get out there in the woods and chase them? What's the appeal? Oh man. Well, for me, like I love deer hunting. Um, you know, when deer season rolls around, I have no complaints. I love getting up early and going, you know, there's something about turkey hunting for me. That's just a lot more personal. Like, I grew up going with my dad to the NWTF or, you know, like, that was really my introduction to the outdoors. You know, dad at, you know, anywhere between three to five years old, I remember some of those mornings, even that at that age. Like, dad waking me up and going, sitting between his legs, you know, even if I wasn't pulling the trigger. Um, you know, just going with him and learning how to be a woodsman and, and learning from him, learning from others that he hunted with. That's just to me, it's just so personal to me. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way about deer, duck, or turkey. Um, you know, but for me, that was just kind of my introduction. I just, there's something about hearing a gobble to this day that just, it doesn't get old to me. You know, when you have a turkey gobbling close and you can hear the echo in his gobble, I just, uh, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So I, I, th- I just think, you know, that nostalgia piece, um, you know, memories, I think that's just something I always really hold dear to my heart is, um, you know, turkey hunting was really my introduction to the outdoors and probably some of the best memories I've had in the woods with my dad has been turkey hunting, you know, just like this morning, we're still turkey hunting, even though he's at a, we're, we're hunting, you know, kind of the same turkeys, but just the fact that we can call each other and, um, you know, hear how, how each other's morning is going, you know, to me, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't trade that for anything, and that's kind of what keeps me coming back, you know, day after day, and, and why I love it so much. And you, you you struck a chord with me. I'm, I'm listening to you describe this, and it's like I I get it. It's outdoor experiences are different for everybody who enjoys it, but there's this one common thing about maybe 
connecting with our, our, our family history or, you know, going back generations, but you just captured it, uh, Tyler. You just described it perfectly. And I think on that note, we'll take a quick break here on the Primal Outdoors podcast. Again, we're talking with Tyler Jordan of Realtree. If you want to learn more about Realtree, check out the website, Realtree.com. That's Realtree.com. And if you want to learn more about uh, Primal Outdoors, that website is PrimalOutdoors.com. We will take a quick break and be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Have you heard of Primal Outdoors? You might know them as Primal Tree Stands, but the company is much more. Yes, Primal has hang-ons, climbers, tripods, and ladder stands featuring their famous jaw and truss locking system, but they also have ground blinds like my favorite, the Wraith 270 see-through blind. I've used that for deer, turkeys, and bear hunting. You can see out, but the critters can't see in. Or check out the breeze for warm weather conditions. And if you need lots of room, the new High Roller XL for multiple hunters or even a quad. Primal is now in the trail camera business too, but not just any cameras. Primal cameras are controlled remotely by your cell phone. That makes the Primal Blind Spot 360 perfect for watching your back while in the blind or a runway just out of sight from your stand. To learn more, go to the website primaloutdoors.com. That's PrimalOutdoors.com. Welcome back to the Primal Podcast. My name is Mike Avery. This time around, talking with Tyler Jordan of Realtree. Uh, Tyler, I want to talk a little bit more about turkey hunting before we move off into something else. What about calling? Yeah. You know, we, we everybody loves to hear the bird gobble. It's one of the best sounds in the outdoors. But what yeah. role does calling play? How much do you call? How often? How loud? Well, that's a great question. You know, and I feel like every day it's a little bit different. You know, I think the older I get, and sometimes you you think you have it figured out with calling, but those birds will quickly humble you that you're not doing it right, or you know maybe they're just not in the mood. But I think just you know, it's more of a feel thing. It's more, and that's what I, you know, I talked about earlier, just becoming a better woodsman. You know, I think it just, it just takes some, um, some swings and misses to kind of learn what not to do and, you know, what to do in certain situations. And, you know, this time of year for us, um, like this morning, the turkey we called in, he was with a hen, you know, and so even though we had him come in range, I didn't do a lot of calling. I just did a lot of you know, scratching in the wood, scratching in the leaves, in the pine straw, just very soft clucks, soft yelps. Um, so I would say right now, given the bird's kind of mood, you know, it's a lot of really soft, non-aggressive calling. You know, I've listened to these turkeys now. I've hunted, uh, you know, three mornings straight. And, and the hens just aren't, you just kind of pay attention to what the hens are doing with these long beards. They're just not you know, super fired up, maybe a little bit on the roost before they hit the ground. But it seems like once they hit the ground, there's just not a lot of back and forth between the gobblers and hens. So, you know, I've tried to replicate that a little bit. And my calling is, you know, at least let them know that I'm here. But the little bit I'm doing, if any at all, um, is very minimal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've come close. I'd, I'd had a really close encounter this morning 
one particularly close yesterday that the one yesterday I had no call in it at all. Um, so I was just scratching in the leads. And, you know, I think people, you know, especially beginners, and I, I, I tell I tell everybody, and I didn't really believe it when I heard it from people growing up, but you know, sometimes the best strategy is is doing just that. And, like, you know, it, it, it takes those those education moments, those days where, you know, maybe you uh, are calling too much. But, you know, you just kind of have to learn the hard way because I think your instinct is, hey, I got to call this turkey in. Sure. I got to let him know I'm here. I got to get him fired up. But, um, you know, sometimes in turkey hunting, less is more. And that is a hard lesson for a beginning hunter because it's so much fun. When you can make a call out to a wild animal, in this case a turkey, and he responds, human nature is we want to keep doing it. So I understand what you're That's saying. Right. Sometimes less is more. Now, that, that bird you were talking about, this most recent one, or maybe it was yesterday, that, that came in on you, did he gobble did, coming in? Did you know he was there, or did he sneak in? So great point. He did not gobble. He just he gobbled on the limb. And I could see this turkey. I, I saw the hen, um, and then I saw him behind her. And I think he was just a less dom. There's some more dominant birds I know around this property. And, and when I saw him first, I only saw him for a split second. Early this morning on roost, um, he wasn't strutting. So I was like, man, if I you know if I feel like I, if I call to this turkey too much, it may he may be a little timid. So I made a big swing. Um, around the woods, I kind of just took an educated guess where I thought this hen was going just from what I've seen the last few weeks. Um, and then I could just see, I could see her kind of coming our way. And I had a little bit of a, a crest in the woods. And I said, look, uh, I told Brian who was filming, I said, I think if we just kind of sit here, cluck a little bit, scratch, you know, I think they might come over here. Well, dang, it's not. 10 or 15 minutes later, when I first saw them, they were maybe 150, 200 yards. The next thing you know, I could just hear turkeys walking to us. And, um, yeah, so, you know, right, right there, he didn't gobble. He only gobbled maybe twice on roost. And then he didn't gobble, as far as I know, um, until he was, you know, 20 yards from mm-hmm. us. So, and again, that's just kind of, you know, turkeys are so moody. You just never know. And, like, I feel like that same turkey is probably maybe it may have been one of the ones I heard a couple of days ago. You know, he was he was so cranked up and gobbling good. Um, but it seems like the turkeys don't ever really do the same thing two days in a row. So um, you just kind of got to take a take a guess at kind of what their mood is. And, um, you know, we guess right today, but just, you know, the, the setup just wasn't perfect. You said you saw this bird on the roost. How close were you set up in the morning uh, to a roost? Well, no, I didn't. I didn't see him on the roost. I heard him on the roost, ah. and then I, I saw him. I guess he had, he had pitched down, and he was maybe uh, when I first saw him, maybe two hundred yards. And then I kind of saw him swing left, and we had some time that we could, you know, make a move. And um, he got in this big open field, and so uh, Brian and I stayed in the woods. And then I could just I could see this field just enough to see what these birds were doing. Um, and then the hens started working our way. And then that's when I just started soft calling, you know, really kind of more calling the hen than I am him. You know, trying not to intimidate that hen um, either from just coming over there. You know, just soft calling, scratching, just letting her know they're not really a threat. You know, maybe making her think that there's multiple turkeys over there. Maybe I'm not the only one. So I think, 
And I think that's really what might have closed it for us, was just her curiosity um, to come over there and check it out. How close, then, will you set up on a roost? Oh, it just depends. It just depends on uh, kind of the situation. I mean, that's a really good question. I, I don't I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I've gotten as close as, you know, 100 yards at times over a roost. That's kind of what I'm comfortable in, that, that kind of range. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the reason why I'm not really going any closer on these that we're hunting is because there's jakes, longbeards, hens, and they're all still kind of flocked up together. Um, so I'm not sure if the hens, if, if, you know, I, I don't really know why they're all kind of still bunched up this late in the season. But I try not to get any closer than that just because you don't really know. Um, you know, you, I don't really want to bump anything off roost. You know, even though I have a general idea where the long bears have been roosting every day, you just don't know where the jakes and the hens might be. So try to stay off and, and be as safe as possible. And will you call to a bird on the roost, or do you let him hit the ground first? Yeah, I will. Um, generally, I will, but I have not seen that work. You know, my dad's kind of been hunting around the same area. It just hasn't really worked for either one of us. And I think uh, a reason why that is is just there's so many hens. So it seems like the hens will hit the ground first. You'll hear them do a fly down cackle and hit. And then, you know, those longbeards are waiting for that to happen. And then they pitch down. So, um, you know, so I, I mean, I will do some soft calling, but, you know, I try not to get super aggressive. You know, if there's a hen in a tree and she's kind of, you know, cranked up and she's being aggressive. Sometimes I will try to mimic back and forth with her, um, you know, just to maybe, you know, get those turkeys or get her to come over and, and check us out. But, you know, if she's not, generally right now, at least I'll just kind of soft call and, um, and, and scratch a little bit. As I think about our conversation here, if somebody was uh, uh, new to turkey hunting or a beginning turkey hunter, they might be overwhelmed. It seems like turkey hunting in general, there's so many moving pieces, so many variables, and it can change from day to day. It's it's a pretty intriguing sport, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, and, you know, it. Uh, like I've told, like one of my friends, Brian Brown, he's the producer of Real Tree Road Trips, but he's kind of get he's kind of gotten the bug a little bit. And he did some calling this morning, like the first time I've ever heard him call. He sounded really good. And, you know, it's like... Um, you know, it, 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 I get excited when I see somebody like that kind of get passionate about it for the first time. You know, he just got on a lease and is uh, with a couple of buddies and is all excited. And, um, you know, it, it can be it can be a lot of fun. I mean, it, you know, there's a reason why I love it so much. I think he's kind of seen my passion and my family's passion for it. And, um, you know, it's it's you know, if it, if it wasn't for deer hunting, if turkey hunting was um you know, just as good in the fall as it is in the spring, I'd probably be turkey hunting all the time. <laughs> you mentioned he sounded pretty good on the call. What does that mean? Does, it, does a good call sound like a, a tournament, uh, a competition call? Does it sound like a real bird? I mean, how important is the call itself? Not the volume, but the sound, the cadence. What is it? Yeah, I think just the, you know, the cadence. I mean, he's very new to, to mouth calling, and I, I thought he sounded... Great. I mean, you don't have to be a tournament, uh, you know, turkey caller to be successful. I mean, there's plenty of people that I know and see that are, you know, maybe more of a good woodsman than they are a caller. 
And, uh, you know, to me, that that's probably even more important than, you know, sounding good. I mean, I, you know, if you listen to hens out there in the woods, and I'm sure you can you, you can probably relate just from your experience, there's a lot of hens I, I hear out there that don't sound good to me. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, you know, they have just like a really deep rasp. But, yeah. You know, they all sound a little bit different. I think what's important for me is not relying too much on a mouth call. I love using a mouth call. But, you know, this is something I've learned from my dad and others is changing it up. You know, sometimes hit them with a box call, hit them with a slate call, um, you know, even a wing bone call. I mean, you know, I, I think sometimes they just like hearing a different pitch instead of hearing the same thing every single day. I think that's how turkeys can become a little bit educated, too, is just kind of it's just kind of knowing that same sound, you know, hearing that same cadence, you know, and that's why it's just important um you know, to change your pitch up a little bit, whether it be on a mouth call, um, you know, slate or box. So I just try not to keep and, and do the same thing every day. Tyler, you talked a couple of minutes ago about growing up turkey hunting, sitting at your dad's feet while you were out there in the woods. Yeah. Did you did you have a sense when you were growing up of of what the family's position was in the outdoor industry. Did, did you get it as a kid? Was that obvious to you what you were a part of at that age? To be honest with you, Mike, no. You know, when people have asked me that, I just really, I really did it. Um, and, and to be honest with you, sometimes I feel like I, I mean, I, I know it today, but it's just not something that, it's just not something that's ever been like top of my mind for me. I've never really thought about it um, so much in that way. You know, I, I mean, I've tried really hard to continue and, you know, carry on Realtree's legacy and, you know, dad's done a great job there. And, but, you know, especially being at, you know, at a young age, I really didn't know kind of the impact or the view that Realtree had on the industry at the time. Um, you know, I, and I, I, I don't know. It just didn't really hit me until, way later down the road, I mean, maybe even as late as like, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, kind of the impact we had over really the history of camouflage, but then outdoor television, um, you know, just our content. Um, so, you know, not, not, not really, um, you know, obviously super blessed and thankful for, you know, everything this sport has meant to me. Um, and what the outdoors has meant to me, but, um, you know, I guess I've never really fully realized the impact that, you know, that Realtree had, um, until many years later. Okay. So when you look at it today, when you look at the state of the outdoor industry today, what do you see? Are we in a healthy business? Are we in a healthy time for those of us who love the outdoors? I'd like to believe so. You know, I, I always keep a very optimistic view, though. You know, even during, and we may have talked about this last time as well, but, you know, I, you know, during COVID, um, I think that was a time where I had a lot of friends that, you know, COVID hit during the middle of turkey season. And I had a lot of friends that I went to school with that were not hunters. Um, you know, I had a lot of them calling me, learning about how to get on a lease or, hunt public ground, if I knew any public ground around Georgia or Mississippi, Alabama, um, and those people are still hunting today. Some of them are. So, you know, I, I think that's really encouraging. Um, I think going and seeing some of these different trade shows like NWTF or going to Seawee, 
um, you know, the Delta waterfowl event we went to over the summer last year. And just what really, you know, makes me enthusiastic is seeing the youth, kind of the youth movement. You know, there's a lot of, there's a younger generation coming up um, in our industry that just, you know, makes me feel really positive um, about the future and, um, you know, and them holding the values of, of hunting and, and, and what it means. So to me, I think, you know, there's a, I'm sure there's plenty of room for improvement um, and things that we can do better. But, you know, I, I, I think the sport right now is in a, is in a good position to thrive for, you know, the, the next, another generation for another 30, 40 years. Tyler Jordan, it's always a pleasure to get to talk with you. And when you talk about values, there's been, in my opinion, there's been no other company more responsible for promoting those values and encouraging those values and maintaining those values than Realtree. I give you and your family a lot of congratulations and a big dose of thank you just from a guy who loves the outdoors and has been a small part of this industry. I look at what you guys have done. Nobody can match it. So congrats to you. Well, I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, just to kind of reiterate what you, what you just said, I, you know, for me, it's not my best memories in the woods, you know, just like talking about my dad earlier. Like, those are my favorite memories. Um, you know, sharing those moments with my little brother, my sister, um, you know, my friends and family that are interested in the outdoors. You know, it isn't so much for me, you know, I'm 31 now, but as you know, when I was younger, it was always about, um, you know, trying to get the next turkey or trying to go after that buck. But as I look back and reflect on some of those memories, you know, our, our slogans, family, friends in the outdoors, what really has, what really matters the most to me now is, you know, being able to share those experiences with others. Um, and it's less about the success of a hunt. You know, my, my favorite trips I go on are the people that I meet and get to uh, spend time around. So um, I think that's something we should always remember and, and, uh, and, and know it's not always about, you know, trying to, trying to kill the biggest buck or, um, you know, you're, you're unsuccessful more times than you are successful. So, you know, there's a, there's a uh, bigger value there than just killing something. Tyler, very well said, and I appreciate you joining us on this edition of the uh, Primal Podcast. Tyler Jordan of Realtree, the website Realtree.com. That's Realtree.com. And again, thank you to the folks at uh, Primal Outdoors for making each month's podcast possible. If you want to check out Primal, go to their website, PrimalOutdoors.com. That's PrimalOutdoors.com. My name is Mike Avery, and I will talk with you next time right here on the Primal Podcast.